What's up, friends? Welcome to the show. It is great to have you again. Thank you to everyone who downloaded last week's episode. I really appreciate all the support. On this week's episode, I interviewed Joe Lumen. Now, if you don't know who Joe Lumen is, I recommend checking out her Instagram. Fair warning, if you are an evangelical um, or a more conservative person, you're gonna be a little probably surprised, frankly, but that's okay. And that's why this show exists. I want you to be challenged. Now, the thing about Joe is that she really knows her stuff. She is no slouch. She is well-educated. She is an ordained pastor. She used to work in ministry. She has read the Bible cover to cover many times. She read Genesis in the Hebrew to study it. So she knows her stuff. And I really, really enjoyed this episode. I I loved this conversation. Joe, for me, is someone who, in a lot of ways, I strive to be in the sense of really rec- uh, recognizing the humanity in other people and also thinking critically about their faith and being able to defend their positions well. So I really appreciated her coming on um, and taking time just to, you know, talk about things that are very big and very deep and complex. So on this episode, we talk about deconstruction. We talk about the evangelical church. We talk about um, if Jesus uh, is a real human figure and what that can mean. We talk about about the authority of the Bible, if it has any, and we just go there. So I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Hey, one more quick thing. If you can make sure to um, give us a rating on iTunes and also to subscribe, that would mean the world's me. It helps me out so much. All right. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Joe. All right, guys. Welcome to the New Evangelicals podcast, episode two. So last uh, week I had Shama for real. So it was a little more of a lighthearted discussion. But now that I have you guys warmed up, I'm going deep tonight. I'm going, we're going to go there. So I have Joe Lumen on the podcast. Joe, thank you so much for coming on. It, it honestly means so much. Thanks, Thanks for making the time. Tim, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have this conversation. I, I usually talk to people that are like full on ex-evangelical. So this is fun. Yes. I'm, I, I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't know. It depends on the day. Some days I'm like, I'm out of this. Other days I'm like, I don't know if I can totally leave. So I'm, I'm glad to have your perspective. Yeah, that's totally fair. I get that. I get that for sure. Why don't we start here? You know, I've been following your account. You have, I think, close to 30,000 or more followers. You're very active on there. And I, I discovered you when I made this account a few months ago. People mm-hmm. were, were sending me your content. I'm like, wow, okay, who is who is this Joe person? And so, you know, why don't you kind of give us like just the brief overview? How did you kind of get to where you are in, on like the, the church spiritual side? Did, did, did you grow up in the church? Were you involved in church? And what kind of got you to where you are now? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up in Colombia. I am Colombian. Um, so I grew up there, was raised there. I moved after I finished college. And for college, I went to a secular school. Um, that was I didn't have a lot of options. My mom kind of picked my school and I had to go to this school. This was the family school and it was a big deal. Okay. And so I, you know, that's where I went, but I did study lit- like officially speaking here, it would be called English, but it's in Spanish. Obviously it's called literature. Okay. And my minor was biblical narratives or uh, yeah, biblical narratives. Uh, and it was studying the Bible as a lit- as a, as a, you know, uh, narratives, like a literature book. That was it. Okay. And there was no, um, 
like obviously we were talking about theology because there is so much theology in it, but the goal was to understand the narratives in it, to look at it from a literature point of view. Mm-hmm. And so we were talking about Greek Greek narratives too, and we were talking about different things and making comparisons, which gave me a, a, a different perspective, you know, definitely. Totally. And obviously I was sitting in these classes as a Christian and thinking like, oh, these people don't get it. But um <laughs> which was wild because some of, some of my teachers were, were Jewish people with just this depth of knowledge. But um, yeah, yeah. so then I moved to the U.S. I became an intern at a church. I interned for two years and then I was hired on to um, as, a, as a, an, assist, an assistant really to the community pastor. So we were doing a lot of community outreach work uh, and that was in Las Vegas. And then I moved to San Diego to help start a church. Um, wow. I also got my master's degree in ministry and theology at Point Loma Nazarene University. I I got then I got classes at Oral Roberts University and Portland Bible College to be able to get ordained, and I became an ordained pastor um, inside wow, of the I did not church. Know that. Yeah, Amazing. yeah, I am an ordained pastor. Um, and so that's what happened. And I was teaching classes, writing curriculum too, um, and teaching classes on doctrine and teaching classes on biblical narratives, which is really more my passion. Like it was more my passion than anything else. And uh, it continues to be really, I love him. Um, and then the church shifted and, you know, they, they needed me to do different work. There was a lot of abuse involved too. And I was asking too many questions, like I still do, making mm-hmm. a lot of people uncomfortable, like I still do. <laughs> and it, it just got to this place where both my husband and I, my husband is also an ordained pastor, and both my husband and I knew um, it's just time to go. Like there is... You know, we, we can't stay. We'll just continue to bring mm. a lot of conflict and there is just a lot of pain and we are being yeah. abused too. Mm. So we did, we left. And then we started asking all of the questions a little bit more freely. I actually, mm. actually we bought tickets to Turkey and we spent six weeks in Turkey, uh, visited the seven churches of Revelation, studied, I spent an entire year studying the book of Genesis in Hebrew. Wow. And, yeah. And then asking all the questions I needed to ask and landing where I needed to land and sharing the tools that I have at my disposal. I mean, my career was gone, you know, everything was gone. So I was like, well, I'll, I might as well just use the things that I have at my disposal and share them. And I think that maybe a couple of, you know, people will find these valuable. But I, I did not expect for a few thousand to find it valuable, too. Well, I mean, it, it makes now that I know that about you, because I've seen a lot of your content and I, I have read it. I'm like, wow, like this is way above my knowledge level. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not I don't have a degree. You know, I've, I've always been just a full time volunteer. I, I read whatever I can listen to who I can, but never, never like finished school. It was just not my thing. I was the musician. I was that's more my M.O., you know, yeah, and um, and so when I read your content about hell and about this now, I'm like, wow, like I've never considered any of these perspectives. And it makes sense that you would say like that your background is so, you know, um, theologically trained in these schools because you clearly know what you're talking about. Like, I think sometimes on Instagram, you meet some, some accounts and they mean so well, but they start making statements that you're like, well, I don't know if that's like totally accurate, but with your account in particular, I'm like, wow, like, yeah, this is like, even if someone would, would disagree, she's talking the language of like an academic person. So that makes a lot of sense that, that you have that. And it makes sense why your account has grown because you really do a great job of unpacking very Big topics I think a lot of evangelicals are really trying to wrestle with and think, how does, how does this work? So that right, makes a lot right. of sense. And that's, that's, those are the tools that I want to share with people, you know, because deconstructing is about unpacking, like, what are my beliefs? Where do they come from? Why do I believe what I believe? And I can help with some of those questions, you know, I can help with where do these 
things come from? Well, like, where do this, yes. what are they rooted in? Where do they come from? And a lot of people have no idea where a lot of these beliefs come from. I just made a video about the rapture. For some people, the rapture is an absolute definite reality. <laughs> and the rapture is a doctrine that has existed for 150 years <laughs> that was developed from dispensationalism, which officially speaking is just heresy and nonsense rooted in ancient Hebrew cosmology and Greek cosmology that we know today is not real. Mm. So, you know, being able to know all of that background and understand like, yes, of course, people were writing First Thessalonians 4 thinking about ancient cosmology that above in the heavens lived God and celestial beings and below underneath was Sheol, Sheol where all of the dead people were, in their mind, that was an actual literal reality. But today we know that's not true. So mm -hmm. therefore, having an, a notion of the rapture is absolutely nonsensical. Like, ah. it's just nonsensical. So my, my tools are not an invitation to have people land anywhere. Mm -hmm. I just say, listen, I have a whole bunch of training and I've learned a lot and I've read a lot. So I might as well just give all of this to you in easy to bite sizes, yes, um, yes. you know, where you don't have to learn Hebrew and Greek. And perhaps this is going to be helpful so that you can determine where you need to land. And I generally do not care where that is. I don't. We're definitely going to get into deconstruction in a little bit because I have, I have questions that I'm just curious to maybe you can help me kind of work through them. But regarding like, you know, where you land now, I guess for lack of a, of a better term, like a theological level, I mean, where do you tend to land? Because I, I've seen you still identify as Christian in some way, but then again, some of the things you said, I thought, man, like, I don't know what evangelical pastor would take that as like Christian orthodoxy, right? So like, where do you land with like the, the, I guess the mystery of the divine with also like our scientific world that we live in, you right. know, what do you do with, with, with some of those things? Yeah. So I do still identify as a Christian. I do not believe in God as a being, though. Mm, okay. um, the belief of God as a being makes absolutely no sense to me. And considering what we know today about, you know, neuroscience and about the quantum field and about, you know, the universe, um, I just cannot justify a belief in a being that is moving things around and has like, you know, it's a puppet master. I can't. Okay. However, I do believe in divinity mm. and this belief in divinity is more rooted exactly in the understanding of quantum field and the understanding of mystery and the understanding of uh, our interconnectedness with other humans, with other creatures, with the universe and how our own energy is affects one another. Mm. And, and so, I mean, the only reason I still consider myself a Christian is because when I left the church and yeah. I was absolutely depressed, um, mm. you know, there had been a lot of just really harmful abuse. And I was in the darkest of places, um, you know, like, I'll just give a trigger warning for people if they want to walk away. But um, I was, every time I would drive, I had to take these um a bridge every day to take my kids places. And every time I would drive up the bridge, I would imagine myself like taking my car, my car off of it. And we wow. would all just die. And it was over. Like that was my hope. And the only reason I didn't do it is because I was afraid that one of them would survive it. Um, and so, like, you know, just thinking about death all the time and thinking my career is gone, all of the decisions that I've made throughout my entire life, mm. uh, I feel like are rooted in lies. Like I made decisions because I thought all of those things that were given to me were truths. And I'm learning now that they aren't at all. Right. And all of that is just, you know, a, a deep sense of loss and grief and not knowing who you are anymore, not knowing what beliefs can you even trust anymore. My yeah. entire community completely gone, like 
nobody was talking to me anymore. I was now a heretic and a, a, a dangerous, treated like I was. I, I told my husband all the time, like, I, I'm literally treated like I am a leper that nobody wants to talk and nobody wants to touch. I, I ran into someone at Target one day and this person saw me and said, oh, I said, hi, I was excited to see them. And they ran away from me, like physically ran away from me because they did not want to be associated with me. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, like just ugly. And so I was so incredibly depressed, but I had been told that God would give me answers, that if I mm-hmm. gave myself to God and if I prayed and if I studied, then I would get answers and I would get peace. And I took that to heart. I, I believed it. Totally. So I started studying Genesis and I said, I'm going to read one chapter. I used to read the entire Bible once a year. Um, and I would read it chronologically. Um, so I would read the Bible in order, in chronological order yes. every year. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then I decided this year, I'm not going to read the whole Bible, which was hard for me to do because I was so hardwired to believe that this is what I had to do. Um, <laughs> yes. but I said, no, I'm going to read Genesis and I'm going to read one chapter a week and I'm going to read it until I understand. And until I get the answers that I am owed by this God that they told me would give me answers. Hmm. And so I did. And I sat down and I read it in Hebrew and I fought and I, wrestled and I learned a lot of beautiful things that absolutely transformed my life. I learned Mm. that then the the name changed of Abraham and Sarah and learning about that and learning what the the letter that was added to their name means transformed me. And it started pulling me out, out of this depression, studying the story, the history of Jacob and God, the whole entire history of Jacob fighting with God and Mm. the culmination of that in a dark night where Jacob says, I will not let you go until you change my name. And God says, okay, but I'm going to dislocate your hip and you will never walk again the same way. And your name will never be the same. It's exactly what I was going through. I was fighting huh. with God and demanding a new name and he was dislocating my hip and I was mm. never going to be walking again. Mm. And these things still make me emotional, you know, yes. because he, I'm emotional <laughs> listening yeah. to your story. Like, wow, it's, it's beautiful and, and it tragic at the same time. Yeah, but God saved my life. That God, you know, that fighting with God, that fighting with theology, this theology saved my life. And I wasn't studying it anymore because it was my career or because I had to go to school or because it was my familiar tradition. I was studying now because I needed to survive. Wow. And how can I then not call myself a Christian? And then I started mm. studying about the Christ. And I, the next thing I did is to study the Gospels for an entire yeah. year. And, I, you know, the things that I've read, the things that I found learning about the Christ, not as Jesus, the person, but as the Christ divinity embodied and love as, as a reality that we walk into, the thing that we are. And as we move into places, we bring Christ, love embodied in human form into mm. places. And then light becomes a reality for humans mm. uh, because we bring it, because we are it. And and the, the idea that we are walking epistles then became an absolute reality for me. I wanted wow. to be a walking epistle. I, I didn't want to believe that the Bible is the word of God anymore. I wanted to be the word of God. Wow. I wanted to become it. So I am a Christian because I fought mm. for it, because mm. I fought God for it. And he gave me a new name. And, yeah. and he, whatever, you know, they gave me a new name. God right. gave me a new name and dislocated my hip. And I have never walked the same way again. Now, do I believe in a lot of the... Um, traditional doctrines of Christianity? No, in the only orthodox, you know, realities of Christianity? No, because the more I study, the more that I don't find any reality in them. I don't believe that hell exists, um, which a lot of Christians don't, you know, like this is nothing weird. Um, I don't believe in a lot of things, but I don't believe the Bible is the word of God, which a lot of Christians haven't as well. And, And the more I study, the more I realize that Christians actually haven't agreed on much. 
Yes. You no, know, they just haven't. So yes. I get to be a Christian, not because I agree with other Christians. I get to be a right. Christian because I fought with God right. and I got a new name. Hmm. And so God is mine. God hmm. is mine as much as God is anybody else's. Um, so that, hmm. that's, that's why I call myself a Christian still. And I don't well, think I'll ever let go. I don't think you should. <laughs> right? I, um, yeah. First yeah. off, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that like part of yourself. That's a very vulnerable spot to be in to you know, tell people that. Um, and honestly, I would, <laughs> we could park here for the rest of our conversation because so many things you said, I, I'm curious about in a lot of ways because I was just talking to my wife about this actually yesterday and I was telling her how I've been really thinking about this idea of like, you know, if for me, if, if we look at like the idea that, that, that the image of God is stamped on every human being, like there is divinity inside of them. Right. It's like, okay, then how do I honor that in people? Even if I disagree with them, like, how do I not dehumanize people? Even people that have a really hard time of like, you know, people that I post to like say things that are super sexist or terrible. I'm like, okay, how do I like come against what they're saying, but not dehumanize them? Because that's, that's the problem that I see so many times is we're just dehumanizing each other. Right. And so a lot of what you said kind of like strikes a nerve with me because it speaks, I think a lot to that idea of being Christ embodied to someone else to almost absorb and like transform, hopefully, uh, them to be like better people and then also transforming myself to be a better person as well. So, um, that's, that's a really amazing perspective. So I I really appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, you know, you're one thing I I like a lot about, about your account, how you handle yourself on Instagram, which we both know could be a very, just like opinion fest and people can really be rude is that you're very firm. Like you are very direct and you will, I mean, you're a pit bull. And I mean, that in a good way, you will go up to anyone's account and be like, excuse me, there's a problem here, but you do it in a way that, that invites conversation. And then they end up blocking you a lot of the times. I mean, that's gotta be discouraging. Right. And I, I, I it has to kind of reinforce and for me to reinforce this to the perspective that the evangelical church isn't really that open to other perspectives on this stuff. They would rather just silence someone and just move on like it never happened. Right. You know what? It's not discouraging at all. Hmm. I don't expect anything else. I, I generally don't expect any different. I don't expect the evangelical church to respond to me in any other way. That's exactly how they've responded to me historically. Hmm. You know, even when I was incited, I would ask questions, simple questions like, why are we spending so much money on lights yep. when there are people in our congregation who quite literally are losing their homes? Yep. I don't understand that, that that dichotomy is hard for me. Right. And it was like, no, you're asking the wrong questions. You're just, you're spiritually immature. Mature. You just don't understand because you're not a lead pastor. You, mm. you know, like all of these things. We, uh, I, the best one was we don't want to send people to hell, but comfortable. So it doesn't matter that we're not helping them here. Oh my gosh! So long as we're teaching them about Christ, they will be in heaven. So who cares? And you know, like I was asking all the questions. So I don't expect the evangelical church to respond to me in any other way. And I think that this is the difference. I don't write on all of these evangelical accounts and pastors. And, and by the way, I usually write on pastor's accounts that are bigger than mine. I, I am very aware of power dynamics. You know, mm. I if they are not bigger than mine, I do expect them to be a little big. And I like if it's a black woman, I will not comment at all. 
if it is a black man, I will not comment at all. But if it's a white man with mm. 2000 followers, yeah, I will comment because of power dynamics. So I'm, I'm, I'm aware of all of those things and I take all of those things into account. Right. And so I comment not for the sake of the one that I'm commenting on, because I know they cannot hear me. The mm. reason they cannot hear me is because they've already dehumanized me. Anything that I say has no value for them. Right. I am dangerous and I am a heretic. And I am, I, the last thing they called me was a satanic witch, which I think is adorable. Well, I love that. Um, so I don't care, you know, for, I mean, I care about them and I wish they would listen and I always welcome the conversation. And I really genuinely mean it when I say I will happily sit down with you and have the conversation. And I've been able to sit with a couple of them. Um, but I write for the ones watching, for yeah. the ones that are afraid to ask the questions that I'm asking, for the ones that are afraid to say the things that I am saying. And then they see somebody saying those things and they feel validated and they feel like their questions are valid and they continue on their own journey of healing themselves because that's what I needed when I was asking the questions I needed somebody to say like you are not because listen when I say this I don't mean this hyperbolically I felt like I was losing my mind I felt like I was yeah. absolutely going crazy yep. and being able to see someone that was educated and that had some sort of a following totally. say the things that I wish I could say a lot but was too afraid to say would yeah. have been absolutely healing for me. Yes. You know, I would have felt like, oh, I'm not completely insane. Because yeah. I felt like I was going insane. Like I would spend nights awake thinking like, am I losing my mind? Am I like, what, what is happening? I don't understand. Yeah. And so I write it for them. I write it for the ones watching. Yeah. Uh, do I hope that the evangelical pastors and those who are in power will listen? Yeah, absolutely. Do I expect it? No, not at all. And in fact, the fact that they block me like you said, is evidence that they don't want to listen. They prove mm. my points. Yeah. You know, it's they interesting how, how you're explaining this. I, I had this like moment, this connection moment of like what you're doing by standing up for people and representing people who maybe are, can't speak for themselves or, or uh, maybe are like, you know, like you said, maybe just too afraid or don't have the right wording. That, that's a big part too. Like sometimes people just they don't, don't feel have, safe. Right. Or feel safe. The fact that you'll do that and kind of take, you know, the brunt of it is a very, like, in my mind, a very Christ-like thing, right? That you're like, you know what? And I know that we we would probably disagree on, like, the atonement side of it, but it's that idea of, like, you know what? I will stand in your place to, and, and represent you here. I'm like, wow, that, that's amazing that that Joe would do that and that, and that you're consciously thinking about that while you're typing, you know, like, yeah, like I know that there are people seeing this that have questions and maybe, you know, aren't, aren't in a safe place to do this without feeling like maybe their church is going to comment on their stuff later on or have some kind of uh, conversation. And so I'll do it. And it's like, wow, that's, that's a powerful thing. Well, um, if you, yeah. if you understand trauma, hmm. And you understand how the brain, like you don't, you just don't feel safe depending on the conversation. If you are the traumatized person right. uh, and that, that applies to all different types of trauma. Um, mm. So that's why when we talk about, for instance, racial trauma, it's a totally different thing for a white person to have a conversation about racism than it is for me as a person of color to mm. have the conversation. Because for me, it's re-traumatizing. Yes. But for you, it is just a, a not a theological, a philosophical conversation. It's just right. theory. Right. It's just absolutely theory. You're not being re-traumatized. Your nervous system is not going to react the same totally. way that mine will. And when you're being traumatized inside of the church, it is the same thing. Yeah. Your nervous system is acting in such a way. So I recognize all of that and I say, okay, in which areas do I have certain privilege, the privilege of healing or the privilege of not having a marginalized identity that I can actually stand in the place of those who are being traumatized right now because my nervous system is allowing for me to have those conversations. Right. And so being aware of all of that 
Now, if, if you take that to how I believe, like what I believe the Christ is or why Jesus died, yeah. um, we're talking about liberation then, you know, mm. for you, like what you call atonement for me is liberation. Okay. Um, because doing that allows for people to feel safer and therefore be liberated to become more of themselves and ah. not act out of trauma, but become fully the Christ that they were created to be. Ah, okay. I, I that's again that you're speaking categories that I've just never considered before, just due to just how you know my location. But that is a very like I have to chew on that because that like makes a lot of sense in my mind. Um, I do want to say really quick too that just to maybe empathize with you, um, I went through a very intense season where I felt like I was also losing my mind due to me deconstructing and like you know I've had a, just a lot of scary moments in my own you know, with mental health and stuff. And it could be very, um, it's just a very tough season, you know? So I, I really empathize with that idea of like standing up at night, like 4 a.m., just wired, you know, fight or flight fully. You're ready to go for a 10-mile full-on run and thinking, am I that person? Am I going to be the person in that insane asylum like who lost my mind? Is that my new story? So I, I really understand that and empathize with you in that because it, it is truly no fun. And I'm, I'm glad you're here and that you're having this discussion because it's such a powerful thing to have other people's perspectives that make other people think about what they're saying, you know? So I really appreciate that. Um, I want to move into deconstruction. This is a big one for me because in my mind, I would really love your input and I would love what you have to say here. I'm having a hard time like figuring out, are, is there like, is there a common definition of deconstruction? Is it just a free for all here? Like, are there certain fundamentals that we all would agree? Like this is part of that experience. Some accounts I follow say, if you don't stay a Christian, you did it wrong. If you stay a Christian, you did it wrong. You know, like give me your perspective on deconstruction. What would you tell someone? What, what is it? Deconstruction is exactly what the word says. It's okay. asking the questions of your beliefs and deconstructing them. Where do your beliefs come from? Why do you believe what you believe? Mm. And does that belief even make sense to you, understanding mm. where it comes from and why you believe it? And that that's deconstruction. Um, policing deconstruction and telling people you have to land in a certain space after deconstruction defeats the purpose of deconstruction itself. Right. Deconstruction is being able to ask questions. And when you ask questions because we are all humans that are individuals and have different experiences and have, have different um different levels of trauma and you know our experiences have been different with christianity we don't get to police where people land for some people the idea of the bible alone like seeing a bible is just their nervous system cannot even handle that yep. and how am i going to police that you know totally. the goal is healing and wholeness and what i call becoming the christ which is becoming the person that god created you to be right um Perhaps for some of them, it means leaving Christianity behind altogether. And that right. is just as valid as me reframing the whole entire thing within the context of neuroscience. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that makes a lot of sense because I've also, I found my, I've had to be extra intentional Especially on my account, which is called the New Evangelical. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of showing my cards there, like that I'm still somewhere in this Christian thing, but yeah. also having to acknowledge that if people are on my account and they're deconstructing, unless they ask for my perspective, it's not my job to tell someone if they're doing it right or wrong. You know, like, hey, if, if someone lands and they go over to heretical theology and they're like, this is, Will is my guy, right? I'm like, I get it. 
I truly understand how you can land there. And it's not my job to try and save them, <laughs> to pull them back to what I think is the right way to believe. And so I find that that perspective has helped me a lot because that allows you to both be honest, like, hey, this is my account, this is where I land, this is where Joe lands, and if you're here, I'm here to help you through this process. But also, I recognize that not everyone's going to land here, and that is A-okay. Right. And you know what? It's that proximity that I have found actually the most beautiful. So Will and I are friends Mm -hmm. and we text. And then when uh, I get a lot of atheists that absolutely despise me. And so I ask Will, like, Will, am I being ridiculous here like am i am i really because they tell me that i don't make room for atheists which is not true they just want to tell me that i am i haven't deconstructed enough for them which exactly that's not true i've deconstructed in my own way and i'm not demanding any atheists to stay in christianity they cannot demand that i let it go either they cannot demand that i let go of my you know belief in divinity so i ask will and we text each other and then when he when somebody says that he's harmful he's like hey am i being harmful and so we have these conversations and we respect one another and the, the the reason i respect will is because i know he landed where he landed consciously Mm. You know, like this was conscious. This was his deconstruction has been a conscious effort to be um, aware and to be the best version of himself to not play into cognitive dissonance anymore. And I respect that. It doesn't mean he has to land where I landed because we, there is a room, there is enough room for both yes. him and I to exist and both him and I to be right. Because it's not really, I, I wrote that about, I wrote something about that yesterday. It's not so much about being right. It's about being whole and being healthy yeah. and being healthy for Will and being healthy for Joe means two different things because Joe is a, uh, you know, Colombian woman that was raised in a different country with a certain amount of trauma with parents that got divorced, which having parents that are divorced inside of the evangelical church is horrible. Mm. Uh, And Will is a white man that was raised in Ohio, I think, with, you know, different parents and different type of trauma. So our healing is going to look different and it's going to lead us to different places. But I am curious enough to meet every single person, evangelical or not, you know, wherever they've landed with enough curiosity to say, will you share you with me? Yes. That that is how I don't dehumanize people because I don't, I don't meet people with superiority. There's only two ways to meet people, superiority or curiosity. Yes. I don't meet people with superiority. I know better than you about you. I meet people with curiosity. I bet that everything that you believe has a reason. I bet that everything that you do has a reason. And I want to know where that is coming from, including the horrible things that you do. I I talked about this when when Trump was being, when, when Trump was president, I was, I told people, I don't agree with like 99% of what this man says. I don't necessarily like him either. I don't necessarily want to be friends with him, but can I see a lot of trauma underneath and like how decisions that he's making are a lot of decisions just rooted in a lot of trauma? Yeah. Am I making excuses for his behavior? No, I will still hold him accountable. However, I refuse to dehumanize him as a bad person. You know, I don't see anybody as a bad person. I just see people as the um some of a lot of trauma that results in you making decisions to be able to be the safest we are all trying to be the safest we can possibly be mm. given the context that we're in and given the amount of um, accessibility to healing that we have yeah and that's it and i recognize that you know so i work really hard at not dehumanizing people though they try really hard for, for me to yes. just dehumanize them yes no don't listen the, the former version of me was much more brutal on instagram and facebook you know i've had to really come around and i love what you said about trump in particular because because uh, you know you were i'm sure you can tell already you know i i was 
for a lot of reasons, not a big believer in Trump for many. Um, but I, I always had to wrestle with this idea of like, well, like he's still a human being though. Like, he's not less than human, you know, like, he's still human. And I also thought to myself, I don't want to do what he's doing to me because that only fuels the cycle of the problem that we're in. Right. And so it's like, how do we break the cycle of what we're calling now this dehumanization process of making someone the other, but also not excusing their behavior, right? Like what Trump did, what he said, what his supporters did, what they said, many things were terrible. The insurrection, obviously horrible things, but like, you know, it's more for me about like, what makes you tick? Like what? What, what thought is so deep in your brain that you're convinced that this election's being stolen, that you'll go to a Capitol and you will storm it? Like, yeah, it's terrible, but also like, why would you do that? You know? So I very much empathize and agree with you on that for sure. Like, I think that's how we show a better path forward is yeah. by not getting in that mud and, and coming up with like the better, the better personal dig at someone, but rising yeah. above that and saying, we can still talk as humans, even though we really are going to disagree. And how can we go deeper here? Because that's, I think that that's what needs to happen more and more for sure. Yeah. Because listen, is the is the fear of losing power justified? No, it is yep. not. Right. Um, you know, logically, it's not justified. Mm -hmm. Does it trigger a nervous response for those who have power and don't want to lose it? Yes, totally. it does. And I can totally. recognize that. Yeah. So when I, I talk a lot about uh, people hire me to talk. Um, so I, talk I can a lot see about, why you're great. <laughs> I, I talk a lot about systems of power and accountability and what that looks like. And yeah. I talk a lot about, you know, uh, equity, basically, which is something that the church churches don't necessarily talk about. And yeah. when I talk about that, the first thing I speak about is what is the response of your nervous system when you're being challenged in your beliefs, which is what happens through deconstruction over and over and over again. So what happens in your nervous system? So I explain and like what is literally happening in your brain, what is happening in your gut, what is happening with your vagal um, vagus nerve, what is happening with everything, like mm. what kind of neurotransmitters are being sent throughout your body and how long it takes for those neurotransmitters to move through your body so that you can come back to me without your nervous, without your nervous system having literally hijacked your brain so you cannot think logically anymore. All you want to do is defend. So once I do that and people are aware that, oh, every time she says white supremacy, my brain is going to shut down and I'm going to freak out and think that she's actually attacking me. But once you're aware of that, I can say you're feeling now and I can I can tell I say like I can absolutely tell that your nervous system is now telling you that I'm attacking you. So why don't we take a 90 second break, like two minute break and huh. let's breathe and then come back um, because I I have to be able to recognize that I've lost my audience you know, and yes. if we're able to recognize that in the other. And I'm talking about like all sorts of relationships, not that when I'm not, not only when I'm talking about a group of people, but even when I'm having a conversation with my kids, when I'm having a conversation mm. with my husband, I'm like, I can absolutely tell that I lost you. You're gone. <laughs> yeah. Like you're absolutely, you're not listening to me anymore. Uh -huh. You're just trying to defend yourself. Mm -hmm. Therefore, this conversation is not fruitful anymore. We are just wasting our time trying to prove to the other. So why don't we just walk away? Right. Take a right. 10 minute break, go grab some ice cream or whatever it is that you need. And then let's come back and reconvene when we are both in a, in a place where our brain is not hijacking our ability to meet the other, to see the other. Cause that's the goal. Yeah. I just want to see you totally. and I cannot see you if my brain is shutting my eyes down. Like, you know, like your brain shuts your eyes to the other, right. but it's hard work. It is hard work. And I'm, I'm certainly 
no um, expert in that. I, I've come a long way in the past couple of years, and especially with the words equity and realizing my own bias, and there's still so much work for me to do. But it is hard work. You don't want to admit that you're... Who wants to admit, who admit that maybe you're wrong about something? Who wants to admit that maybe your whole worldview that you were told is the most certain thing on the face of the planet might be a big bubble that's about to pop? I mean, right. of course your brain's going to go into fight or flight mode, right? Like It wants right. to protect you from trauma. Um, so that makes so much sense, and I love how you approach that. That with with kind of calling it out, like now that it's said, now that you're aware of it, now we can really address it, and it's right. helpful for going forward. Yeah. Um, I want to move on a little bit. Let's talk about before we kind of wrap up here the evangelical church. So this is a big one for me. I'm really passionate about this. That's why my accounts the new evangelicals, right? Because even though I really, I mean, I really struggle. I'm a as of right now, and this could always change. I'm a believer in hoping that. The way, hopefully, the church changes is from the inside out. And that's only because of my experience of people who I know who are in these positions or who are on volunteer staffs or whatever, who are like, we're having these conversations all the time. Like what you said earlier about why are we spending money on lights when we have the poor among us? Like that's a real conversation that I'm hearing more and more being brought up. But I mean, for you, the evangelical church, like, is it, how do we... Do we just destroy it or like and, and or do we do, do we do we fix it from the inside out? Like what's your perspective on that? I'm very torn. It, it I, like I told you before we we hit record. It depends on the day for me. Some days I'm like I think we can really do some good work here. Other days I'm like this needs to go. Like just flush it down the toilet, time to restart. You know, what are your some of your thoughts on this? Yeah. Let me ask you first. What is the evangelical church to you? Well, that's another great question. Um, it's I feel like the term evangelical is such an umbrella, nebulous term. And, you know, it, it, uh, in one sense, like a, in a political way, it could include the Kenneth Copelands and the Independent Fundamentalist Baptists in one umbrella, and they would never agree theologically. So that's another great question. You know, for for me, I think about a lot of these like more um, popular Protestant um, denominations, like like the AG, and also a lot of these non-denominational networks, like the Independent Charismatic Network, the IFB, those kinds. of of things that would that would pretty much hold to some I don't know like like some bottom line statements of faith about Jesus dying for your sins and the Bible being the authority of God you know the ultimate authority and you shouldn't like you know uh, forsake the assembly something like that in, in real loose terms okay well this is the thing I have not yet found a, a definition of evangelicalism that is not harmful oh. um, you know I have not. Uh, every definition of evangelicalism requires uh, either proselytizing or seeing the Bible as the word of God. And those two are just harmful, especially to people of color, especially to marginalized identities throughout the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you see the Bible as the word of God and not Christ as the word of God, which is how I see it, I see Christ as the word of God, not the Bible. The Bible is just a document that talks about God throughout history, but I don't have to read it as the word of God. Because when you read it as the word of God, then you have the excuse of every single horrific thing that the church has against people groups because the bible says and the bible says is you know i am justified in doing it then and and we're talking here about the doctrine of discovery and we're talking about slavery yep. and we're talking about you know take it like dehumanizing indigenous my indigenous ancestors and totally. we're talking about like horrific things done against women done against lgbtq people done yep. against you know 100 so, percent 
if you believe that the Bible is the word of God, you are going to cause harm. If you cannot move out of that paradigm of seeing Christ as the word of God and demanding that you have a relationship with the Christ, with divinity within you, to be able to know what the word of God is, then you're going to continue to push people to fit into whatever it is, how like however it is that you interpret the Bible. And that is harmful in itself. That removes agency from people because it's no longer you have a relationship with God is you must fit into my interpretation of what this Bible says. Now, if you take that away, but you continue to proselytize, you're doing the same thing. You know, your relationship with the divine has to look in the way that I tell you it has to look. I need you to accept Jesus in the way that I understand Jesus to be. I need you to accept Christ and God and divinity in the ways that I demand that you accept them to be able to be acceptable to God, not just mm -hmm. to me, mm -hmm. but to God. Right. And evangelicalism does those two things that it really just it removes agency, it removes free will, and it removes people from belonging to God for being, just because they are, just because they are created in the image of God. To belong, you need to agree. To belong, you need to, um, you know, surrender and submit to whatever it is that they say are the definitions of all of these terms. But they don't have more truth about these terms than me. Hmm. They really don't. Hmm. They don't have more truth about these terms. You know, when they t when I ask him, like, why do you think that the Bible is the word? Like, why do you think it's truth? Why do you think the Bible is truth? Because that's a really funny question for me. So you don't believe that the Bible's truth? I'm like, what does that mean? Because I right. also believe that, you know, uh, like a lot of books are truth. Mm -hmm. I don't understand that question. Right. But they tell me, well, the Bible is the word of God. And I say, why? Well, the Bible says that. No, it doesn't. It really does not say that. And even if it did, that is a logical fallacy. You cannot prove something with it. Right. And you know, what are you going to do with the Vedas now? The Vedas are way older than the Bible. Mm -hmm. And they also speak about its supremacy. You know, they also mm -hmm. speak about how their God is the supreme God. So mm -hmm. what are you going to do with the Vedas? What are you going to do with Islam? What are you going to do with Judaism? What right. Are you gonna do? right. So the, the moment that you want to box God into we have divinity and we have it in this box. And if you don't accept with our, you don't accept, accept our box, then you don't belong to divinity. Then you are harming others and you are removing their relationship with God and and you are gatekeeping their mm. relationship with God. How mm -hmm. can you gatekeep people's relationship with divinity? Yes. Like you have to be rather arrogant to yes. think that you can actually gatekeep people's relationship with divinity. Yeah. So my issue with evangelicalism is that it does that mm. over and over and over again. It gatekeeps people's relationship with divinity. Now, does that mean that I don't believe in the church? No, the opposite. I believe actually I do believe that the church is the hope of the world. Me too. That's that, what I say. I mean, <laughs> and by that, I mean, <laughs> by that, I mean community, intentional, real community, yes. intentional. I see you. And not only do I see you, but I'm going to show up for you. I'm, yes. I'm committed to vulnerability in this relationship. Yes. I'm committed to your well-being as much as I'm committed to my well-being. You know, when I, when I talk about the church, I talk about collective living. I talk about yes. changing the frameworks and the ideologies that we've been given from capitalism, from capitalistic mentalities yes. and white supremacist mentalities and saying, no, we're here on this we're in this world together and none of us are okay until we're all okay and i care enough about you that i am not going to hold on to power more than i want to hold on to your well-being because power is not going to make me survive but your well-being will definitely determine if you survive or not 
So it's not so much about hoarding power and wealth as much as making sure that we're all moving together toward what I call heaven on earth. Yes. And that to me is the hope of the world. And that to me is the church. Does that mean I have to belong to a corporate setting for that? No. Does that mean I can? Yeah, absolutely. You can. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to. The right. church then transcends the idea of these corporate settings and the church then becomes the 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 belonging to one another, the way that we choose to exist in the world, the way that we choose to show up in the world. So I love the church. I believe in the church. I push the church. I am in the church. Yes. That doesn't mean that I have the ultimate reality on what the church needs to look like. I just have the ultimate reality in what the church looks like for me because I am a part of the church, but I am not the whole of the church. Yes. I really love that. And I can't go into it now for sake of time, but there was a, a very long period of my life, my early 20s, when I was able to have exactly what you said with about 40 other people for almost six years. It was not institutionalized. It was a small, it would be the equivalent of like a small group, but way more than that. I can't even, I can't even give you the stories of showing up for other people, you know, in, in our lives, multi-ethnic, just diverse, listening, growing, beautiful, you know, and that has always stuck with me as like, this is church. This is the church. It's the community of people, you know, collectively living together on like just taking care of each other and, and, and being that heaven on earth presence, which I resonate with. I can't tell you how strongly when you said those words, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're in my head because that is as well. Like what I look at, I'm like, that is where we need to get to, you know, like the institutional side of what we're doing like that, that needs, in my opinion, honestly, it needs to be really reformed to something like that. Like these power structures need to go. Um, so I'm really with you there. And that kind of ties into my last question is how how do we go forward together, right? Like you and me, we have really strong agreements. We probably have some strong disagreements. Uh, me and Will, right? Same kind of thing. I'm sure we'd agree on a lot, and I'm, I'm working on getting him booked on the podcast. You know, but like, how do we move forward together, even in the middle of our disagreements? Some might be even strong. How do yeah. we how do we go forward though? Because I think we're aligned on this idea of like not dehumanizing, of ushering in this like divinity in other people and calling it out of them. So what do you think the vision is for this new kind of church, if you will, for lack of a better term? Yeah. You know, just yeah. to kind of move forward. Yeah. Listen, we have to learn to listen. Mm. We have to learn to listen to the other. The moment that we show up and believing that we know better about somebody else's experience than themselves, then yeah. we are going to meet them in a way that is just not going to be helpful, you know? Yeah. So it, learning to listen, like generally learning to listen, especially, especially to marginalized identities, yep. especially listening to marginalized identities, because if we ensure that marginalized identities are taken care of and are covered, then the rest of us are going to be well, because what we're yes. doing then is disrupting the hierarchical society that we've allowed to be created. And the moment we disrupt the hierarchical society and we turn it upside down, then we are all in a level you know, playing field and we get to be, we get to care for one another in a healthy way. Um, because now I'm not concerned so much with hoarding wealth and making sure that, you know, capitalism makes us think that we all have to hoard wealth to be able to be safe. Yes. Uh, that is a trauma response. It's just a trauma response. So but if good. I'm able to disrupt that and say, I don't necessarily need to hoard wealth. I need to make sure that the most poor amongst us are actually fed. That's what I need to worry about. Um, you know, if I center the needs of the marginalized without neglecting my own, 
But if I center the needs of the marginalized by listening to the marginalized, I don't get to determine what they need. They need to tell me what they need. I just yeah. work to move towards that. I love that. And I'm going to ensure that the rest of us are going to be well. That means, however, that some people are going to have to lose power and they are not going to like it. So yeah. there is this also work of holding people accountable and saying, I know you're losing power. That does not mean that you are in danger. You're just uncomfortable because mm. of the trauma. And, you know, so there is a lot of seeing the other and understanding where they are at and listening. So I listen to the people that are losing power. I hear them and then I correct their misconceptions about what's happening. I'm being mm. persecuted. No, you're just losing power. You're not persecuting. No, nobody's persecuting you. Right. You're, you're OK. Let me explain to you what actual persecution means. Yes. Let me show you what persecution looks mm. like. Let me show you the, the, the scars of those who have been persecuted. There is yeah. nothing even close to that for you. Right. And so. Meeting people where they are at, listening to them and being committed to both accountability and, um, you know, fighting for the most marginalized and and developing our emotional intelligence, developing our own emotional fitness to be able to not be so fragile that every time somebody says, hey, you're harming me, you go with, no, I'm, I'm one of the good ones. There is no such thing as one of the good ones. We all have the capability to be really harmful and really helpful. And yeah. if we don't listen, we will be harmful. And so people come to me and say, hey, you said this and it was really harmful, but I sit with it and I go, you're absolutely right. I'm so sorry. You mm -hmm. are pointing at a, you're pointing at a spot that I couldn't see. You're pointing at something that I wasn't aware of. So thank you. Yes. I see you. Thank you for seeing me and I'll do yeah. better. Totally. And I'll absolutely do better. And usually that happens from marginalized identities, you know, yeah. marginalized identities pointing to me. What you did was harmful yeah. and, and not being so fragile that I think I have to be a good person. That, that all comes from ego. Just yes. our ego not wanting to look like a bad person. Totally. And instead of realizing that we're not good or bad, that duality doesn't serve us. Mm -hmm. We're just complex beings that have the ability to cause harm and do good. And the moment that we think that that's not the truth, we're going to be really committed to protecting our identity and to protecting our uh, the image of our identity, to protecting our reputation more than we are committed to heaven on earth. My commitment is to heaven on earth, not to my reputation. My reputation doesn't matter. Mm. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I had to fight back tears a few times as you were talking. So I was just like, wow, this is just beautiful. I, oh my goodness. Like my heartstrings are just off the charts of just like, yes, 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 yes. You really put, you put the way you explain things is really powerful. It's a gift and where everything that gift comes from, you have it. <laughs> and so, you know, I'm grateful that, that you've been able to share it with us and with this little community over here, who's just trying to navigate these really treacherous waters, frankly, you know, like we're really in tension. I always tell my followers, like life is about tension. It's not about these absolutes. You're, you, you can't do that. You know, life is gray and you have to wrestle with things. And sometimes things are like tug of war and you just, you just gotta sit with it and work it out. You know, yes. so, and that, that uh, compassion, like meeting ourselves with compassion, you don't have right. to have answers always. Like it's okay right. to say like, I genuinely don't know. And I'm just right. fighting with these and I want to hold on to it because it's safe, but I know it's harmful, but I want to hold on to it. <laughs> yes. And I'm meeting myself with compassion because I love me. Yes. Yes. I love that. Joe, thank you for making time. Um, if our paths ever cross, a cup of coffee on me because I have so many more questions. I'd love just to hear your thoughts on. And um, I, I just love, I love your attitude. I love your heart, your spirit, all that stuff. It's just, it's really beautiful. So keep doing the work that you do. It is vitally important to, um, I think, just to the future of, of the church and to humanity, frankly. So thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. You are so kind. Thank you. If I, when I go visit my sister, if I make it down south a bit, then definitely I'll take you up on that coffee because I've never been out of coffee. I love it. I love it. Thanks again <laughs> for coming on. Thank you.